Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 23 of Retro Hangover. Hello, Internet. How are you doing today? This is your co-host, Chris Copeland. And to start off, I just want you all to know, to be this good takes ages. To be this good takes Sega. And Sega's the one. Now there are no limits. Welcome to the next level and the retro hangover podcast. Here is your main host, Shane Sega Lovinkowski. How are you doing, my brother? (laughs) I don't know what I did to earn that title, but, you know, I guess I'll take it. Uh, it made sense at the moment. I know you don't care much for Sega, I think. Well, you do. You eh, will get into this. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like my... I, I might be lukewarm at best. I feel like maybe you're you're more of the the, the Sega guy than I am, but... Uh, well, today. Today. Today, t- today maybe, yes. But not in history's lore, <laughs> so to speak. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Um finally getting a little bit of a break from from all the travel and whatnot not to say that it hasn't been a good time because it has but uh Mm. could use some some rest some some chillaxation on the homestead as it were so um kind of enjoying that i uh just picked up diablo for my switch and i've been uh playing some co-op with my brother who's still living up in maine so that's been uh it's been a good time and yes, before I ask you how what was better, New Orleans or Seattle, and how awesome it was to be there, is Diablo mm. for the Switch like a mobile game f- of Diablo? So one might say that it's mobile because you can carry your Switch with you. But personally, Chris, I feel that the term mobile carries with it, um, let's say, some certain connotations and perhaps presumptions about uh, the type of game. That it may or may not be. To which point I would say no. Uh, no, Chris, it is it is not, in fact, a mobile title. It is, however, a um, a really excellent port of Diablo 3, though. <laughs> but if it's on the Switch, I mean, it can... Why not make a mobile version of Diablo? I mean, we you all have what, cell Chris, phones, why right? Why not make a mobile version of Diablo? Because, yeah, we don't we all have phones? We all have phones. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Switch is like an Android. So just put like Diablo on Android or something. Why haven't they thought of this yet? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, It'd be like know, a free to play game. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's free free to get in, start playing. You know, um, maybe pay a, a nominal fee to uh, get an XP booster. That sounds like a good idea, right? Like, I can think of yeah. a number of ways that you could monetize this. Well, I I just can't even begin to imagine. What I mean, the Blizzard wouldn't be that stupid, though. No, no, they no, can't be. no. I mean, you know, never. Blizzard is their their track record is is stellar. You know, so there's there's no way that they could have possibly been taken over by a much larger and shadier company, and all of their mm-hmm. original founding members have been slowly being pushed out. That would never happen. No, it wouldn't. I mean, if they were going to make a mobile free to play style Diablo game, it'd have to be an April Fool's joke. 
Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, you know, maybe maybe just a, a side project, you know, to, to tide the fan base over until, you know, a real full fledged Diablo four PC release came out. You know, let's say something like uh, Fallout Shelter, perhaps, or or Elder Scrolls Blades, you know, something to that effect. That would make the most sense, I think. It feels like we're being really defensive about this. What? No. Where do you get that from? I have I have no idea. Maybe. It, oh, wait. Yeah, I, I it, this isn't a dream and it is reality. And and Blizzard did kind of fuck this up with Diablo Immortal. So, OK, so here here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been kind of coy and, and sarcastic about this. But honestly, it, I I will say up front, first of all, I don't actually have a problem with there being a mobile Diablo title that in and of it's itself, the delivery. It, that in and of itself is fine, yes, but yes, it's the way that the message was delivered in that Blizzard hyped everybody up to hell and back, no pun intended, for months leading up to BlizzCon, and then either something internally happened, which is a theory that's been bouncing around, or they just completely missed the mark on this, we're not entirely sure, but about two weeks before BlizzCon happened... Uh, there was an official sort of post that said, like, hey, guys, maybe maybe don't get so hyped because we we might not have what you're looking for. So, you know, just just chill. It's fine. And everyone was like, OK, I, I don't I don't know what the fuck that means, but all right. So we go into BlizzCon and we're like, mm, OK, we're not getting D4. That seems pretty obvious at this point, which in and of itself is a bummer. But you know what? It's probably to be expected. Fine. At best, okay, let's say D2 Remastered, right? Because Blizzard has a classic team that is dedicated to remastering their older titles. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility to assume that this might be what they're shooting for. Okay, that'd be cool. I'd take a remastered D2. Why not? Um, And then there might have been some talk about like this Diablo Netflix series thing that's kind of been bouncing around for a while, but who knows? So we go into BlizzCon, and um, luckily I didn't pay for a virtual ticket this year because it would have been a wasted $50. Um, and the opening ceremony, uh, well, you know what, Chris, how, how did the opening ceremony end? What was their what was their big announcement that everybody was waiting for? Um, I think it was called like Endless of Gods or something like that. I think they announced a Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the that's the game that it that it is just with Diablo's can uh, Diablo Immortal. Right, Diablo Immortal, not by Netties. not not to be confused by Crusaders of Light, um, or or any of the other um, nearly copyright infringing titles that the Chinese mobile developer NetEase has uh, out there already and have been running for several years. Um, but yeah, so Wyatt Chang, who uh, by all accounts seems to be you know a, a pretty involved guy in in the Diablo team, and I, he did some work in Warcraft as well, and for the most part seems generally liked by the Blizzard community. I think goes out there, and you could already see it on his face that he knew this thing was going to be a fucking bomb, and he was just doing his best to like feign hype, and it was. It was excruciating to watch. I felt bad for the guy, honestly. But um, he comes out and and basically says, like, hey, everybody's got mobile devices. They bring people together. They bring friends and families all together, no matter where you are. And what better way to uh, 
to spend time with your family than slaying demons. That's why we're making a Diablo mobile title. And there were fucking the, crickets. There's there's only one thing that was more tone deaf ever said by a company that I've ever heard, and that was with the Xbox One. I don't know if you remember it. And they're like, so what are you going to do for all those people who don't want to stay on the internet? They say, well, we have a system for that. It's called the Xbox 360, and they can still buy that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember that. Yeah, this is pretty much on par with that. Yeah. So, so as I said, it, 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 and the other thing, I don't want to go off on too much more of a tangent, but the other thing that bothers me about this is the fact that there are quite a number of A, Blizzard fanboys out there, and B, uh, media outlets who have somehow turned this around and said that the Diablo fan base uh, is a bunch of entitled and misogynistic people, which I'm not even sure how you get that from this whole situation at all, I, but that's probably another topic for another time. But anyway, let me be clear that this has nothing to do with entitlement, okay? This was a failure on Blizzard's behalf from fucking beginning to end. You don't go out there and hype up a community that hasn't had a mainline game in their series since 2012. Now, that's of course not including the, you know, Necromancer expansion, but the game was released in 2012. You haven't had anything really since then of any substance. Diablo 3 has evolved into a really good game for what it is, but to go and build up those expectations and then come out and the the big announcement for your your company centric convention where your audience by the way is a pc centric hardcore crowd okay and you come out and say hey guys we know you all want a shitty mobile title okay well um is is there is there any are, are you planning on maybe porting this over to other like consoles and PCs so you can have cross play or no, no, just mobile. Oh, okay. Um, is this an out of season April fool's joke, <laughs> which was actually one of the questions asked by someone during the Q and a for this. Uh, no, no, we're actually serious. Wow. Okay. So let me see. Uh, you're not actually developing this in house. You've outsourced it to a Chinese mobile game developer. Um, for all intents and purposes, it is mostly a reskin of an existing action RPG that this company already has. It's recycling assets from Diablo 3. It's missing a character class from Diablo 3, which, by the way, is the one uh, African-American character in the game, which, uh, in case people don't know about how China works, um, turns out, on the whole, kind of super racist. Um, to the point where they don't even like having black people in advertisements for, like, movies and things. Take a look at uh, some of the more recent Star Wars advertisement posters. You'll see that Finn is actually not on them, right? So, a whole bunch of this garbage, and they're expecting us, as the fan base, to to be happy about this, to, to be excited. This is garbage. You basically take one of the most... One of the most beloved franchises and a pillar of of blizzard's portfolio and reduced it to an outsourced reskin of a microtransaction riddled mobile game that's a fucking travesty and anybody that goes out there and says that we're entitled because we're pissed about this you have completely missed the whole idea here they they do know that like blizzard's not 
entitled to your money either, right? They're not entitled to that. You can make a choice and not be happy. Oh no, we should just be we should just be grateful uh, for what we get, Chris. That that's what it is. You don't you don't want to be an entitled gamer, do you? Uh, I I guess not. I'm still trying to figure out how not liking this game makes you a misogynist or it enforces the patriarchy. I'm I'm I don't know how this is supposed to work, but I'm just me. So I guess uh, I well I don't even care about anything on mobile except for my fan- Final Fantasy Record Keeper. And I mean, I you you know, and if anybody's been listening to this show, they also know that there are a, a handful of mobile titles that I play and that I enjoy, like Record Keeper as well, and you know, like Dissidia, uh, Final oh. Fantasy, I like that one, and uh, Kingdom Hearts. So it's not like I don't play mobile titles. It's it's just that this was probably one of the most tone deaf announcements i have ever seen from a game company Uh and it's not something that you would have ever expected from blizzard say 10 years ago and you can chalk it up to conspiracy theories all you want but it's pretty hard to ignore at this point particularly with someone like mike morheim stepping down very recently who is one of the founding members of blizzard there's basically nobody left over there that were from from the you know, the old guard, the, the original crew, uh, which was Mm. the creative source of all of the stuff that we have come to love so much. I mean, hell it's been several years since Chris, Chris Metzen left and that guy almost single handedly created a lot of the art for all of Blizzard's main series. I mean, if you go back and look at the instruction booklets for like Diablo one and Diablo two and, you know, Warcraft three, his signature is on almost all of that artwork and he's gone. So I, I, I personally have been coming to terms with the fact that Blizzard is not the Blizzard that I, I used to love so much. They are now mostly Activision and this seems to be the direction that they're going to be going. And I, for one, do not welcome our microtransaction overlords, and they can go fuck themselves. If anything else, this has just, like... This has handed over probably millions of dollars in revenue to Grinding Gear Games and Path of Exile. So, moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is that Diablo Immortal has made Shane angrier than whatever enjoyment he had from New Orleans and Seattle. That that is is quite clear after after his his rant. And thank you Shane for your input. Yeah, no. No, sure. That 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 was my soapbox for now. I'm I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um well, I'm not going to get on a soapbox either. I'm a little upset. I'm upset about the Diablo thing growing up with Diablo and liking Diablo. I I haven't played Diablo 3. I'm not a massive Diablo fan. But I'm not too happy about the PlayStation lineup. I think Japan got a much better lineup. I don't understand. So so let me ask you a question, Shane. Yeah. If I have multiple games of one series on a system mm-hmm. and the, the game that everyone loves the most is highly revered and under your umbrella and you can easily bring it to your mini platform, which one do you choose? Uh... I'm going to go with uh, the one that nobody wants for 500, Alex. Uh, not the one everyone wants. That was close, but it's the one before that no one cares about. Well, it cares about it's a little harsh, too. So <laughs> uh, when I look at this, <laughs> of course, in this instance, I'm talking about Twisted Metal, where Twisted Metal 2 is significantly better than the original Twisted Metal. However, Twisted Metal is on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Rainbow Six for some 
awful reason is on this. I, I don't understand why Rainbow Six is on this list. Um, and of course, once again, I'm talking about the PlayStation Mini. Um, or classic, or whatever the hell you want to call the damn thing. But there's the, the lineup there is just so questionable. It's not like it has awful games, but the, the what could be there is so much better. I just don't understand it. Like, where's Symphony of the Night? How do you have Metal Gear Solid and you do not have Symphony of the Night? And don't tell me this crap about how it was just recently re-released for the PS4. Yeah, sure, but they're entirely different. Um, The, the justification here for a lot of these is is ridiculous of why it's not there. I understand Ape Escape because they didn't release with the DualShock controllers, but no Crash Bandicoot, no Spyro, no Castlevania Symphony of the Night, um, no Gran Turismo, and I understand why no Gran Turismo or Tony Hawk. I understand that. that that's that's understandable. Oh, well, sure. I mean, that uh, that's licensed. Uh, Resident, Resident Evil 1 instead of Resident Evil 2. It's no Mega Man Legends, no Mega Man games. I understand they just released a legacy collection, but they, they kind of had that in the plans for the Nintendo Switch when they came out with the SNES Classic, which has Mega Man X. So it's just completely mind-blowing the amount of games they don't have. And you look at the Japanese collection, especially for someone who likes JRPGs like myself, and you see Parasite Eve, and you see Saga Frontier, and you see Armored Core, and you're just like... And, and, and oh yeah, shmups. Two shmups. You have... Uh, Darius Gaiden and uh, or or Darius G or whatever it was and a Darius game and a Gradius game they're on there it's just what the hell did they do um but you know not as angry about that as you are Diablo obviously and uh, to sum up what I'm playing right now I'm not playing anything because I'm in college and it's taking up all my damn time and I'm a one person uh I'm a one game person. And right now I just figured out I cannot Platinum Persona 5, so I'm really irritated and I can't, don't want to play it right now because I realize I can't do what I wanted to do by restarting the game and I still want to finish this playthrough and it's frustrating me and that's that. All right. Well, uh, it appears that this week is the week of vents, so I'm glad we got that out of the way. A lot of anger. Just a lot of disappointing stuff happening, man. Like, uh, I don't know. It was like the worst BlizzCon ever. And like I said, I'm glad I didn't drop any money on it. But anyway, uh, what yes. what what are uh, what are we actually talking about today? What's our uh, yeah? We we topic? have an episode. We need to, we have an episode we need to do. I mean, I guess. And uh, yeah. I mean, I could probably episode... spend another like 40 minutes bitching about Diablo Immortal, but <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to hear that. So. Well, maybe they do. Maybe that's why we need to have a side channel. But we need an audience <laughs> to have a side channel. Not ah. saying anyone who doesn't listen to us, we we, we still love you. Um, I don't know. This is not going down the right path. In any case, today's episode is about the Sega Master System. Mm-hmm. Um, a little known system to the majority of uh, you filthy, filthy casuals. But uh, for the retro uh, crowd, it's a little bit more involved. But uh, let's get started on talking about that. I'm sure that both myself and Shane will have personal stories about this, which are actually on opposite sides of the conversation. So Mm. before we get into that, I'd like to have to talk about a history, and I know my grammar's terrible, of the Sega Master System. Sega challenges you with the ultimate video game, the Sega Master System as much memory as any other video game. Advanced video technology like scrolling backgrounds, graphics in 64 colors, digital sounds, and light phasers. And you can add to the excitement with sports pads, control sticks, and the first video games ever in 3D. Sega's the one. The Sega Master System. The challenge will always be there. 
1983. You're Sega, a successful arcade company. You've seen what Atari can do. Maybe you can do the same. R&D has been working hard and has made you a console called the SG-1000. And you released on July 15th, 1983 in Japan. There's only one problem. You released your system the same day as a little-known system called the Famicom. This wasn't the worst thing initially, as the Famicom had hardware sales and released fewer games by the end of the same year, leading the SG-1000 to sell 160,000 units by the end of 1984. But due to Sega not having any recognizable franchises on the system and the Famicom being far superior from a technological standpoint, the Famicom started to dominate by 1984. Even with a revamped version of the SG-1000 called the Mark II, released on July 31st of the same year. Needless to say, Sega, like Peter Parker to Tony Stark, didn't feel so good. Spoilers! Still too soon. <laughs> yeah. One would think at this point, much like the failing hard, much like many failing hardware developers, Sega would get on point and just become a third-party software developer. Huh. This wasn't the case. So on March 20th, 1985. Sega released their third attempt to capture the hearts of gamers with their SG-1000 brand in Japan with the Mark III. That would eventually become to known and through the international gaming community as the Sega Master System. The Mark III was different, though. While the Mark II was a simple upgrade over its SG-1000 predecessor, the Mark III was out for the big end's blood. The Mark III was an entirely different system. It sped up its processors, increased the RAM from 3 kilobytes to 24 kilobytes, Ooh. doubled the sprites tripled the colors, and had backward compatibility with the SG-1000's cartridges and the Mark II's data cards. It was more powerful than even the mighty Famicom, and more powerful by quite a large margin. The only shortfall, comparatively, was its sound chip, which was the same as the Mark II. It was a behemoth of its time, for consoles, anyway, and was ready to take on the mighty Famicom on its home turf. But Nintendo's roots had grown and anchored. Amazing games like Super Mario Bros. set the gaming world ablaze. Nintendo had made policies to keep third-party developers from making games for rival companies. Sega had to go it alone, or port third-party games to their console themselves. Very few third-party com companies, Activision and Parker Brothers, in fact they were the only two, would release games for Sega's console. The Mark III did not take off in Japan like Sega had hoped to like the consoles before it. This time, Sega would take to the West. And in October of 1986, for $200, it would release in North America as the Master System. Europe would see a 1987 release, and Brazil in 1989. Why am I talking about Brazil? I'll talk about that later. Much like Japan, the Nintendo Entertainment System's tendrils had wrapped around the gaming industry in North America, choking out any chance of competition and frightening Japanese anime girls everywhere. <laughs> Sega would sell 125,000 Master Systems by the end of 1986, outselling Atari 7800, but falling short of Nintendo's NES, which sold over 1 million units. Sega's plight was so bad, they gave distribution rights to Tonka. You know Tonka. The ones who made those awesome construction toy trucks? Yeah, that Tonka. And they knew nothing about video games. The power that Sega gave to Tonka in North America was so great that Tonka had decision on what games were localized and how, leaving many games in Japan and Europe. All doom and gloom, huh? But this is where the Amero-centric story ends, and the European story begins. Sort of. The Master System did not release to growing, glowing accolades or sales in Europe initially. However, due to Lucky Break, where Virgin bought the company that was distributing the console, 
with the added factor that Nintendo was doing a terrible job of penetrating the European market. Giggity. The Master saw System saw a region where it could call itself the winner of a console generation. Instead of going after Nintendo, Virgin attacked the Commodore 64 and the Z or ZX Spectrum. Uh, if we have European listeners, please, please, bitch, I would love it. <laughs> which, which were the dominant hardware for video games and were able to gain a market share due to the Master System's superior capabilities. As mentioned before, Brazil would be a very good home to the Master System, where it claimed 80% of the video game market, and it is estimated that 8 million consoles would be sold in that country alone and continues to sell to this very day in 2018. Despite its difficulties, the Master System is estimated to have sold 13 million consoles outside of the Brazilian market, or more than the Wii U, or 21 million consoles overall. The North American market is estimated to have sold only 1.5 million units of that 13 million consoles sold. And the North American market only received 114 of the 341 games total released for the system officially. There were three prominent versions of the Master System release. The Mark III, as previously mentioned, exclusive to Japan. The Master System, which also was released in Japan, the American re-release. And the Master System II. There's also been some other variations that were released in Brazil by Tactoy. And that is your history of the Sega Master System. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, that was very thorough. So I'm, I'm curious. There was one piece at the end of this that kind of caught my attention. Are they um, still manufacturing new master systems for the Brazilian market? Or are we just talking like on, on, on like, you know, the secondhand market? You know, it's from what I could tell, it's hard to tell if they're still making it or not. I, I, I would think they're not. I, but Tech Toy, the people who distribute the Master System in Brazil and always have, have consistently came out with new iterations of the console. That's, um, that's they, crazy. That's everything I saw said they're still selling to this day. But since Brazil is such a unique market in the video game realm, it's really hard to tell. Um, at least from what I've could find, uh, if they're still making it now, if someone happens to know this, and they want to write write to us. By all means, I would love to find this information out because that would be that would be shocking. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the hardware that old, I'd be surprised if they were still making it. It was huge there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so comparatively, as you were saying, the, the numbers were very, very different as far as total units sold in North America versus, well, pretty much anywhere else. And right. at, at least anecdotally, that certainly syncs up with my experience because uh, I did own a master system. and Please, do tell, do tell. Yeah, and literally no one else I knew did or even knew what the hell it was. <laughs> um, so actually, the Sega Master System was the first console my family ever owned, if my memory is serving me correctly, and I believe it is. Um, but fun fact about that, we didn't actually own that many games for it. Now, granted, there were evidently only about, you know, 114 or so that were actually released in our region. Um, but of that sort of pared down list of games, I think I owned like four. <laughs> uh, and, and they were like 
uh, evidently weirdly esoteric ones too. So when I was looking at some of the information for this before we started uh, recording the episode, I was looking at the list of games that were released in North America and I was looking, I was like, man, there were some good titles here that I never even knew this system had. I kind of feel like I missed out on right. some stuff. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, for or like, like fantasy star, for example, or uh, ease mm-hmm. and a couple other ones. But um, so the ones that I had, or at least that I remember most clearly, uh, first of all, uh, Rocky, the, the boxing video game based on the movie of the same title, um, which I actually didn't know this until very recently when I looked it up. Um, there were only three opponents that you fought in that game. It, it, evidently, it was a very short game, but because wow. it was so short, it was also brutally difficult. Um, Just like Rocky's voyage to the tie. I mean, top, top, sorry. Yes, yes, that's right. Short, but brutal, yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I guess I had, when I was a kid, I had always thought that I just was really friggin' terrible at the game because I could only beat, like, one guy. And every time I got to the second opponent, I just got my ass handed to me. But turns out it's just because the difficulty gets cranked way up because there's only three. Um. So that was that one. Uh. I also had Afterburner. Which um, I it's have trash. fond memories of. Yeah, it's, I know. Trash. it's actually a bad game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's objectively a bad game, but so I liked it only because I was enthralled with the arcade version of the game. Because right, the uh, the local arcade that I had when I was a kid, um, which was called the Dream Machine. Uh, which was in the local mall, they had the uh, cockpit version of Afterburner. It wasn't like the stand-up cabinet. It was that sweet-ass one that you like sat in with a seatbelt and it like, you know, moves horizontally and up and down based on, you know, how you were flying in the game with, you know, every time you locked onto an enemy with your missiles, like the light would like turn on and flash at the top. And it was just super badass. And it's not really something that you get nowadays, but um, so that kind of colored my perception of that game for sure. Because yeah, the the, the home port was kind of garbage. But um, so let's see, there were those two, and what the hell was the other one? Oh, uh, I I had the light gun for the system too, which was which the light gun is really really good. Yeah, and uh, but I only had one game that utilized it, and um, it was called I think Gangster Town. Yeah, I believe is what it was called. That was a great game. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun with that one, but I, I guess, I don't know if it's just because it was a really obscure title or, or what, but if you go and, uh, look at like the Wikipedia entries for the Sega master system and you go and click through to gangster town, it's kind of indicative of perhaps how obscure this title might've actually been because the article in its entirety is like one sentence with like no pictures or anything <laughs> at all. Wow. So yeah. Um, F, although uh, I, I think it links as a source to giant bombs archive of uh, games. And that one actually has like eight or nine screenshots if you ever want to go and look, but, um, but yeah, I think that was mostly it, man. Like I didn't have a whole lot of other stuff. I just kind of played those. And then I want to say I might have had R type, but I don't recall. But, um, yeah, that was kind of my experience with it. I had a very, very abbreviated library of games. So have you ever asked uh, your parents why you got the master system over the NES? Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever asked them why I, I think it might've just been, 
It might have just been because that was what had been available. I almost want to say that they ended up getting it from a friend. I think they like bought it off of a, a family friend or something at the time. Mm. Um, I don't think, I mean, my parents had no, you know, idea about game consoles then. So I think they just thought like, oh, this is cool. And I'm getting a deal on it because this person wants to get rid of it. So there you go. Um, but I don't know. I think it was kind of cool because it was an experience that, that I had that, uh, evidently not a lot of people did. Um, most people, their first consoles ended up being, well, probably the NES or the Genesis, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting story because you don't really hear anyone that says not many people. I mean, it's not, you, it's not that you're, it's unique to you, but it's very unique in the fact that you do not hear many people say the Sega master system was one, my first console or, or two was a console. I, I didn't have an addition to the NES. It's, it's very mm-hmm. rare. Um, my experience of course is radically different. Like I said, this is like me and me and Shane have completely different stories as to how we got into the master system. Now it's, it's not like I didn't know the master system didn't exist. And the only reason I knew it existed is because every once in a while we would go up to uh, my aunt Jean's house in the Northwoods of Wisconsin when I was a little, you know, really small kid. And it wasn't too small because Mega Man two had come out and uh, whatever year that is, because I love, I was in love with Mega Man. Uh, but I'd go up there and she had an NES and I'd play Mega Man two and I'd see behind it that there would be this maroon system with this weird signal flow, which I didn't know a signal flow at the time, uh, that was etched into the front of the console. And it said Monopoly on it. And it said Sega. And then, of course, I knew what a Sega Genesis was. I'm like, that's not a Genesis. You know, what the hell is this thing? Um, right. And I wouldn't ever play it. It would take forever for me to play it. Uh, vaguely hearing about it, and it wasn't... I don't even remember it ever being covered or mentioned growing up and playing video games. No one really discussed it. And this was weird because, you know, the Sega Genesis launched with the, with the uh, power base converter where you could play your Sega Master System games on it. And mm-hmm. a lot of the games on the Game Gear were Master System ports. But no one talked about the Master System. No one knew what it was. And it, it goes to show if there's only 1.5 million units released in North America, that goes to show. So... My curiosity really peaked. Uh, I started collecting games, uh, I would say, casually compared to a lot of the more hardcore collectors, uh, especially casual because I started collecting games right around the time that everyone else started collecting games. And this was back in 2012. And I got my Sega Saturn. Uh, I then moved back down to where I'm at right now in Florida. And it was about 2013. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get a Sega Master System. Never had one. These things look interesting. Uh, I just want to give it a shot. So I got myself a Sega Master System about five years ago. And since then, I've got more than half of the Sega Master System North American library. I have around 67 games in my collection, which, you know, if you have 114 games total released in America, yeah, I'm, I'm well over that threshold of half the entire North American collection. And all my games are North American releases, as far as I know. And I can talk about that in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I started collecting it. And the good thing about collecting for the Sega Master System, at least, is that the games were cheap and you could play them with the Sega Genesis controller. Um, and there are quite a bit of good games on the system. Now, it doesn't sound like you really have, you know, a favorite game. and You can t- tell your favorite game later. But I picked out a couple 
uh, for this episode. Just want to briefly touch over. I, I've killed time with Outrun. Uh, mm-hmm. Outrun is phenomenal. Well, I won't say phenomenal on the system. It's a good. It's it's a good game. Uh, if you like Outrun, it has a really good soundtrack as Outrun does, um, and it's fun. It's just Outrun. Uh, East is on this system. Uh, got Fantasy Star on the system, which you mentioned, which was the first JRPG released in North America. It was even released before Dragon Quest. Govelius is a great game. Fantasy Zone is a is a really good port on the Master System. Space Harrier, despite being choppy, is a one for one recreation on the Master System. Uh, so if you learn how to master the master system game, you, it doesn't mean you can go and master you know, the arcade game, but at least, you know, enemy patterns cause they're the same. Uh, Shinobi, mm. uh, is, is it's, I would say, yeah, it's an arcade port. It's, it's faithful to the arcade as, as it can be. Our type is, is really good. Uh, that brought over quartet. I had a lot, it's very obscure game called quartet. That's a fun game. And Choplifter by Broderbund, Sega brought it over to the system, and it's, it's fantastic on there. And those are just the games I picked out because of my top ten um, games that I own currently. That's not exclusive or inclusive. I, there's a lot of games I don't have, obviously. But these are really good games. The problem is there's nothing on here that doesn't have a port on another system that is significantly better than it. Mm-hmm. So, like, go ahead. Oh no no oh, okay. uh, you're 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 right. So uh, real quick though, you you mentioned something about um, Monopoly. Was there a version of Monopoly for the Master System? Yes. Okay, that just jarred something in my brain when you said that because I also had that too. Mm-hmm. I remember playing Monopoly on that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, and and I've I've tried playing it. It's the exact same version of the Game Boy version of Monopoly, just with more colors. Yeah, because yeah. because I had Monopoly on the Game Boy growing up. But um, so I'll just go through this really quick. Like East, East the Vanished Omens. First of all, it's only East Book One for anyone who knows anything about East, and it's absolutely destroyed by the Turbo CD version. Uh, you have Fantasy Zone, which is so inferior. Most of these, I'll say, is uh, like the Turbo Graphic 16 just absolutely chops them to bits. Uh, the Fantasy Zone Turbo Graphic 16 version destroys it. Uh, R Type Turbo Graphic 16 version destroys it. Shinobi, its sequel to Revenge of Shinobi, is a much better game space harrier just cannot compare to the arcade experience and when you look at space harrier 2 it's space harrier 2 just looks and flows so much better even outrun is a lot better um sonic the hedgehog was released later on and it's the game gear adaptation on the master system and of course it came out after the sega genesis sonic the hedgehog so there's not a single game yeah. I saw that, man. When I, when I was looking at the list of games list released for this thing, I was like, wait a minute. They released Sonic for the Master System? Yeah. Like, that That seems so strange to me, particularly when, like you just said, it, you know, it was on the Genesis already, which, you know, is a superior version. So, I don't know. Unless you just were a Master System owner who hadn't upgraded yet, then I guess you could buy that one. But, like, why would you? Well, yeah. I, I could understand why you would buy Sonic the Hedgehog for the Master System because you have to remember... People in Brazil probably didn't invest in a Genesis. So when you have success for a game in Brazil and you have success in Europe coming out with a version of Sonic the Hedgehog for the Master System where these systems are gaining traction would make sense because probably a lot of people still hadn't moved over to the Genesis yet because the Genesis had its own problems for a few years in gaining a market. So, yeah, it would make sense much like NES games came out after the Super Nintendo for a while. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's true. I don't know. I mean, I so I didn't play 
Sonic on the Master System, obviously. I don't. I, is that? I'm assuming that's one that you do. You own that one. Um. First of all, if I owned a U.S. version of that, I probably would get rid of it. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the, so. The, that's the, what I'm driving at. Is like I, I can't imagine that it played very well. It uh, actually plays very very well because it did come out uh, for more mass availability for the Sega Game Gears, the same game. Uh, and actually Yuzo Yuzo Koshiro from, you know, Streets of Rage fame composed the soundtrack to it, I believe. So it's not like the soundtrack is the, the same vein, but it's it's a decent soundtrack on top of it. And what I mean I'd be getting rid of the American version is just because that game is worth almost twelve hundred dollars. Oh. If you have <laughs> if you can confirm it's the American version, it's 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 worth a silly amount of money. And all it is comes down to is a UPC sticker and the manual is shaped differently. But if you get a loose cartridge, there's no way to tell whether or not it's an American or European game because you can play both games on the system interchangeably with no issues. Uh, so it was region free at the time then? Uh, between the American and European releases, yeah. Mm. You could interchange those, but the Japanese carts were different shapes and you just couldn't import a Japanese Master System game. Hmm. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the the other piece about that too was the fact that um I guess the the Game Gear hardware design was based on the Master System um uh-huh. which is interesting. I I actually also owned a Game Gear. I'm not sure that that one necessarily warrants like a whole episode on its own, so I guess we can kind of touch on it here. Thinking about it now, it, I was actually I guess strangely more into Sega than I thought, but it was kind of by accident. <laughs> like I, right. I, I didn't obviously go seeking out a master system and I didn't really seek out a game gear either. I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure how I ended up with one. Um, my parents obviously bought it for me for probably a Christmas or something at some point, but I don't remember asking for that specifically. So I'm not really sure how that came around, but a uh, short version of that story is, while the Game Gear certainly had much better graphics and and colors and everything than the Game Boy, that thing was a battery hog. I think it took, uh, I want to say, eight AA batteries for that thing. And I think it's six. Is it six? It was six or eight. Yeah, six probably sounds right. But in either case, an inordinate number of AA batteries. And in my experience, playing that thing, you could probably get maybe a couple hours before it just ate through the batteries completely. Cause I mean, you know, how else are you going to power all those great Sega color graphics, you know? I mean, it was a portable CRT television, man. I mean, sometimes even literally <laughs> true. Yeah. And uh, listen, I'm not understating or I'm not trying to understate what it accomplished. I'm just saying coming from the perspective of a child owning a game gear, it was, I, I was less impressed with its technical acumen and more bummed about the fact that it could only run for like a couple hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Not to mention my parents, right. I think, instantly regretted that purchase once they realized they had to buy stock in Duracell to keep that thing running. <laughs> uh, fun fact about the Game Gear. I mean, I think it has a larger color palette, actually, in the Master System. It's actually slightly more powerful in the Master System. But its architecture is so similarly related that I actually have an adapter, and they made these back in the day, where you could put an adapter in the back of your Game Gear and play Sega Master System games on it. Mm. Yeah, see, I never had that. And it works perfectly, and you can even use the pause button correctly. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I was looking for. So, uh, to 
I'm going to just touch on some of the hallmarks, some cool things, and some of the reasons that the Sega Master System probably flopped, other than the fact that Nintendo was a huge monster of a company at the time, or just some downfalls, especially for people who might be looking to collect it. First of all, the controller is terrible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, do you remember the controller at all? Yeah, it's an awful controller. The D-pad is... Mushy. It's like... It's mushy. The buttons are mushy. It's it's the good the news. D-pad, by the way, that thing. It's if I remember correctly, it's basically a square. It is a square. Yeah, that that sucks for precision. It's it's not very precise. Uh, but the good news is, is that the connector is the same as the Sega Genesis connector mm. for the Sega Genesis controller. So you can hook up your Sega Genesis controller and play to your heart's content. Uh, there are some games that do not like it, like Wonder Boy Two. That game hates the Sega Genesis controller, and you cannot play it on a Master System, so that will not work. Um, but the Master, the, the the actual controller is terrible. The Sega Light Gun is better than Nintendo Light Gun in my the Nintendo Zapper, in my opinion. I think it's a much better product. Uh, so Light Gun games, if you, as long as you have a CRT TV, you're good to go. Uh, speaking of CRT TVs, if you happen to have one, you can do 3D gaming with your Master System if you own the 3D glasses, which actually uses the same technology as that big 3D TV fad uh, like five years ago was doing. <laughs> it's, it's the same basic technology. Uh, and for some games, the 3D looks really good. Other games like Zaxxon 3D and Blade Eagle 3D, it does not look good. But... Maze Hunter 3D, if you want to see a really impressive 3D game, that would be it. And I would say probably the most impressive thing about the Sega Master System, before I talk about its greatest flaw, is the fact it had a built-in game that came with every single system. The Sega Master System that I own comes with Missile Defense 3D, as it was like the, I guess when it was released, because I got secondhand, of course, the Master System pack, which came with the Zapper and the 3D glasses and the built-in Missile Defense 3D game. So right out of the box, you could you had a game. You did not need to go out and buy a game in addition to your system. It it wasn't even a packing game. Uh, you got one with the console, and the console typically came with a packing game too. So right off the bat, you had something to play, and you didn't need something in your console to play it. Yeah, I think the built-in firmware game from like the older version was some like Snail Race or something like that. Snail Maze. Yeah, there you Snail go. Maze. Snail Maze. Yeah. Uh, so some, I think some releases had Hang On and Astro Warrior as a built-in game. Uh, I know that's a physical release. Maybe it was just super, uh, Hang On, which Hang On's a pretty good game, actually, for the Master System while we're on it. But um, other games were Alex Kidd and Miracle World, especially for the Sega Master System 2, I believe. Um, but the Sega Master System 2 dropped the ability to play card games, and trust me, you're not missing out on much there. Mm-hmm. But they did have little cards like the TurboGrafx-16 had their Hue cards. They did have games that were on those cards. They were budget releases, and they're cute. Um, but the biggest flaw with the Master System, if you're looking to play one, if you're looking to get a physical copy of it, is the fact the pause button is not on the controller. It's on the system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why they would do that, I, I have, I have no idea. This was released after the, the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Famicom, and the pause function had become commonplace. I mean, if it hadn't, why is it on your console? I, I don't get well, it. You know, uh, it's Chris, very strange. They were just, you know, pr- they were promoting uh, healthy exercise habits. You know, if you, if you wanted to get up and pause your game, you had to actually get up and, uh, you know, walk. I mean, I 
guess it's still <laughs> stupid. Listen, I'm trying here. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a dumb design decision. Um, no one. One other good thing that n- not many people may care about uh, is the fact that it does natively output RGB. Mm, mm-hmm. So you can get a, a decent picture. I don't think the RGB signal out of the master system is all too great. It's not as good as the Genesis. But it, it still outputs RGB. Uh, there are component cable, cables available for it. I have a set, uh, which wasn't for my master system. However, it uses all the same same plugs and cables that a Genesis Model 1 would. So if you have a Genesis Model 1, uh, all you got to do is you don't even really need the cables. I don't know why you wouldn't, though. And you can hook that up to your Sega Master System. And I th- you can actually do the same with your TurboGrafx-16 power supply. You can swap that between your Genesis Model 1 and Master System and uh, TurboGrafx-16. Uh, same with the RF switch. So there's all sorts of cool little things that go into it. Ah, uh, yes. Back when you could use cables and accessories interchangeably. Those were the days. Yeah. So in your opinion, Shane, why do you think the Master System failed other than the fact Nintendo was a giant monster beast? <laughs> oh, besides <laughs> that? Yeah. Um, uh, I... You know, that's most of it. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, the fact that Nintendo had what some may refer to as perhaps a monopoly on a lot of third-party developers at the time, um, it kind of stole a lot of potential from the Master System as far as getting some, you know, quality titles on there. Not not that it didn't have some, but... uh, yeah, I I feel like at least in my experience and from what I've seen, I feel like it was just it was a case of just being overshadowed. Like you mentioned in the history that the technically speaking, the hardware was actually better, um, far superior, but it didn't really matter. Um, Nintendo had kind of already established this foothold in you know more of the major territories. And, you know, good on the Master System for finding uh, a major audience in places like Brazil, um, which, you know, it sounded to me like, I guess, might have been an underserved market from some of their competitors. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was just the fact that Nintendo had become such a behemoth at the time that the Master System just couldn't really catch any of that limelight. And comparatively, um, they were just better games and like you said you know uh and this kind of i think dovetails into my thoughts on whether or not this is something that someone could pick up and play today is uh most if not all of the the titles that you could have played on a master system that would have been worthwhile um had better ports elsewhere so if you have you know the option to to play a title somewhere obviously you're going to want to play the best possible version of it and in most cases that's not the master system version so um do do i think that someone could go back today and plop down a master system and enjoy it sure absolutely but i personally feel like it would be more of just an exercise in maybe some nostalgia on one hand if you had some experience with it before and if you hadn't then it would be uh, probably mostly an academic experience just be like you know what i did it i i played a master system and i experienced some of the games outside of that like you're gonna have a better time with 
any of the other systems that had those same titles on it. But that's that's just my personal opinion. I don't know. What about you, Chris? Uh, you know, as someone, as you said, you know, someone who picked it up with no nostalgia of the system, I can say it's probably best if a lot of people just kind of skip it unless you have nostalgia for it. So if you're in the European or Brazilian markets, I'm sure that you're going to have a longer list of games that you very much loved and appreciated back in the day. But if you're an American purchaser, an American buyer, are there good games here? Yeah, sure. Are they, are most of them cheaper than what you can find on a TurboGrafx? Yeah, absolutely. They're not nearly as good. Uh, can you get Space Harrier for it and have the memory patterns the same? Yeah, but you can find Space Harrier and Arcade Perfect Port playing Shenmue and get Shenmue if you like Shenmue, or you can get it on like Sonic's Greatest Hits collection for the 360 or PlayStation 3. There's just so many better ways to play the good games for this system. That being said, if you want to play Fantasy Star, which you can also play so many other places other than the Master System, this is the system if you want to play it on original hardware to do that and fantasy star is an amazing game um it's just there's not many unique experiences here and the experiences that are unique are not mind-blowing so there's no real need to go after it i look at my nintendo collection i see journey to silius you can't get journey to silius anywhere else and that's a fantastic game you can't get guardian legend anywhere else other than the nes and that's a fantastic game you can't say that about the master system you can't be like well that's a fantastic game that i really wish was on another system it's just not there to that extent and when it is, it's typically, there's a better version for it somewhere else. So, really interesting. Uh, I would say, you know, if you like 8-bit shooters, this is the system to do it. Um, if you want to see where technology was at in 1985, uh, in terms of 3D gaming, this is the system to do it. But, no, no, don't, don't, don't go after it like I did. If you want to, good on you. I still want to get a full collection, but I'll tell you what, I've slowed way the hell down over the past couple of years just because I'm looking at the games and how much they cost for, for, for some of them. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's worth it. Um, you know, there's some games out there in the European market and Brazilian market that might be interesting, but by and large, no, skip it, stick with your NES and, or go to the Genesis because the Genesis is still cheap to collect for. And there's so many better games on the Genesis than there are on the master system. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It was, it's, it's certainly an interesting historical, I, well, it's sort of reductionist to say footnote, but I mean, it kind of is, at least in the North American market. Um, but it, it was certainly an interesting console to the least, but, uh, yeah, kind of easily skippable. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, uh, I think that's probably going to do it for this episode. Um, we had a pretty good discussion and, uh, I would say a, you know, a healthy amount of rant to start out with. I I feel like I cleansed some chakras or something. I don't know. (laughs) But, uh, that, that, that was almost an episode. It's all right. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, as always, if you, uh, if you'd like to reach out to Chris and myself, um, there are in fact a number of ways that you can do that. You can, uh, send us an email, uh, that would be podcast at retrohangover.com. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook or Twitter. 
Um, and you can find us, of course, just by searching for Retro Hangover. We try to make ourselves easy to find. Um, we, of course, also have the website, retrohangover.com. You can leave a comment directly on the episode post if you so wish. And uh, we are also still on YouTube and Twitch, um, so you can find us there as well. I will say that I'll go ahead and apologize if there's anybody that has been relying on YouTube for our episodes. There's been delay in getting the YouTube versions of those out, uh, mostly just because of upload times. Um, and, you know, 45-minute episode takes quite a lot of time to upload when you don't have a great up speed and only one ISP. So I apologize for that, um, but they will be still be getting out there. And there's been a little bit of a lull on our Twitch streaming because we've just been busy and I've been out of town for quite a bit of time, but I still am looking to uh, finish out my my Doom Iron Man challenge because I'm determined to see if I either just end up dying or finish the game, one of the two. And I uh, uh, we are still planning on having at least a little bit of stream time dedicated to Castlevania 64 because I think that'd, that'd be a good time. And in my opinion, it is never too late for Halloween, so... Never. But uh, but yeah, so I don't know. Any, any closing remarks, Chris? Uh, I would just like to say that if anyone finds this episode a little weird about uh, two-thirds of the way through, it's because Shane's computer was possessed by the devil <laughs> and decided to make some of his decisions on its own. So I hope it doesn't impact this episode too much. Shane does a bang-up job. Uh, if you are relying on YouTube or you are listening to a podcast, I'm just going to say Shane is the technical wizard behind all this. So he does his technical wizardry, and he has been out of town. He does a fantastic job. So, um, you know, just be patient sometimes. Like, this isn't a job for us. This is this is a very much so a hobby. So uh, we do this as a labor of love. And anyone who's listening to this, we greatly appreciate it. So please... Uh, Go ahead and like our Facebook page, uh, leave comments, leave questions. We will respond to them, uh, and we greatly appreciate you as an audience. Yeah, I think Blizzard PR was hacking my laptop. That must have been it. Uh, Diablo Immortal got into your laptop and told it was an Android device, and it said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, all right, well, with that, until next time. Play with your joysticks. Play with your joysticks.